Psalm 33:20 says, "He is our help and our shield." And one of my favorites is Psalm 121 and verse one. The psalmist says, "I will lift mine eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I look up to the mountains, and I'm inspired," he says. I love the mountains. I love the ocean. I don't know many places in the world where you can stand and look at, at the ocean and in the wintertime on a clear day see the mountains. But you can in Southern California. I don't know many places where you can have breakfast at the ocean, lunch in the mountains and dinner in the desert. But you can in Southern California. Why am I moving to Tennessee again? <clears throat> Remind me of that later on, okay? I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Well, you know what? It comes from the one who made the hills. That's what the psalmist said. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And I love what Paul says in Acts 26 as he stands before King Agrippa. In verse 22, he says, but I have had God's help to this very day. It's a tremendous thing to know that God is our help, that he doesn't go off and leave us. In fact, twice in the first lines of Psalm 124, God is described as being for us. And even the last line of the psalm gives us the same idea. The last line says God's strong name is our help. The same God who made heaven and earth. Don't miss the impact of those verses. God is for us. God is our help. But I'm aware of the fact this morning that there could be some people in our lives that are uncomfortable and bothered by that thought. Perhaps you have someone in your life, maybe a family member, maybe a neighbor, maybe someone you work with that, you know, is going through a difficult time. Maybe they've had a health issue. Maybe it's been a financial problem. Maybe it's something that's going on at work or the loss of a job or whatever it is. And you just you want to go to them and you want to encourage them. You want to say something that will lift them up and lift their spirits. And so you go to them and you say, you know what? God has declared himself to be our helper. God is for us and God is our help. And they look at you and they say, why don't you change the pronoun?" God might be for you and he might be your help, but frankly, he hasn't really done much for me lately. And if you've ever had that kind of experience, suddenly you have been so confidently declaring God's presence and help and you find yourself being put on the spot as God's defender. Suddenly you find yourself explaining God to his ungrateful clients. And suddenly you are you are expected to make excuses for God as to why he didn't perform the way that person thought he should. Suddenly you find yourself apologizing for the management because things didn't quite work out right. Anybody here have been or currently in a job like customer relations? Ah, you have my great blessing. Because you have one of the hardest jobs in the world. Because, you know, the customer is always right. Supposedly. And I go into the store and I buy something and I take it home and it doesn't work. I plug it in and nothing happens. Or it doesn't do what it was advertised to do. And I take it back. 
and I go back and I'm upset and I've paid money for this and it doesn't work right and I want my money back. And there you are as the customer relations person smiling and looking happy and, and all of that, trying to keep me happy and trying to explain that, well, you know, all our company produces good products and we do good work and I'm so sorry this happened. And, you know, on and on it goes. In fact, on several occasions, I found myself at an outdoor function like a wedding. And of course, particularly those outdoor weddings, everybody wants the day to go smoothly. And of all things, they want the weather to be just right. Don't want it to rain. Don't want it too hot, too cold. And invariably, after we get done, for instance, with the rehearsal, someone in the wedding party will come up to me and say, uh, Pastor, uh, you know, we really want tomorrow to be just right Do you think you could speak to the man upstairs and just make sure that, you know, the weather and everything is just like it's supposed to be? I love it. It's always the man upstairs, you know, could be the janitor for all I know. He could be upstairs, but, you know, they never say, could you talk to God or could, you know, could you say a prayer? It's always the man upstairs. And I usually turn to them and say, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do. I'm not in management. I'm just in sales. Not everyone believes that God is for them. Not everyone believes that God is their helper. But I've decided that God doesn't need me to defend him. I've decided that God doesn't need me to be his press secretary. Now, you know what a press secretary does. After the president comes out and speaks, then the press secretary gets up. And tells us all the things that he did or didn't say that we thought he said or didn't say in order to explain what he said that we think he said or that he didn't say. Rather confusing, isn't it? God doesn't need me to be his press secretary. God doesn't need me to explain to the world that he, he didn't really say all those things to Job that we think he said. Are those difficult words from the Apostle Paul? They had to be taken out of context. You see, the proper work for the Christian is witness, not apology. Now, there's a place for apologetics. There's a place to be able to defend our faith and to know what we believe and why we believe it. But never once did Jesus say, go into all the world and apologize for me. He said, go into the world and be my witnesses. Tell the world about who I am. And how their life can be changed when they believe in me. We do not have to apologize for God. We're to be witnesses for him. Psalm 124 is an excellent model for us to follow. This psalm does not argue God's help. It does not even explain God's help. Psalm 124 is a testimony of God's help in the form of a song of praise and thanksgiving. I've been thinking a lot about this psalm this summer. As Linda and I have gone through a period of transition in our lives that we didn't really think we would be going through at this stage of our lives. And at the end of April, my job ended with the Center for Individual and Family Therapy. A lot of that was based on the economy. Not enough of you, I guess, came and got counseling and paid your money so they could keep paying me. And uh, I moved away from that position. I took this huge cut in salary and I said to Linda, what are we going to do? Understand that during that time when I was with the center, uh, we raised a third of our support in order to be there. And so my prayer was that those faithful supporters that have been with us for four years would continue. And almost all of them did. 
Some of them even increased their support, which was really nice. But I said, you know what? We, we can't stay in the, in the condo where we were renting in Huntington Beach. We just can't afford to do that anymore. So we need to move. And we need to figure out what we're going to do in ministry and how that's all going to work. And I wanted to keep doing what I was doing, ministering to pastors and working with pastors and working with churches. And God has, has enabled me to continue to do that. But it completely has changed our lives. And at the end of May, we moved out of our condo. And um, by then we knew where we were going. But for all of May, I, we had no idea where we were going to end up and what we were going to do. And then God reminded me that 16 years ago, when we moved from Santa Barbara down here and Linda went to work at Biola, uh, we had some friends who had an apartment above their garage. And, and we stayed there for a month until we found a house. And it's like God hit me upside the head one day and said, why don't you call the bakers? And so I called the bakers. And they said, yeah, still have the apartment. It looks pretty much like it did 16 years ago. And they were right. Same green carpet, same trundle bed, you know. So from a 1,800 square foot condo to a 450 foot square foot luxury studio apartment. I call it the I call it the penthouse, actually, uh, because it's above the garage, you know, and can't see anything, but it's above the garage. So it's the penthouse. And so we moved in there and we've done some house sitting this summer. And we just I describe us as being vagabonds for Jesus. And we say, OK, Lord, this really feels different in our lives. And what's going on in our lives? And what are you saying to us? But you know what? God has always been present. That's why I come back to Psalm 124. God is our strength. God is our helper. And God has never gone off and left us. And we are seeking him continually and trying to figure out what does all this mean, Lord, and where are we going to serve and how are we going to do this? But God is there. And that's why I like Psalm 124. But as I read this psalm, there's a question that comes to my mind. It's simply this. What does this psalm say to us about life? First of all, it describes who is on our side. And the answer is one word and the answer is simple. God. He is on our side. He is our helper. Listen to the first lines of this psalm. If God hadn't been for us, all together now, Israel sing out. If God hadn't been for us, when everyone went against us. I don't know about you. When you read the scriptures, you ever get in your mind of what you've been reading and, and it's like a word picture? Sometimes I do. And particularly when I read these verses, I get a picture in my mind. And the picture in my mind is that here is Israel and they're like this giant choir. If you recall, many of you probably been to them and probably sung in them, but the Billy Graham Crusade Choirs. You know, at Anaheim Stadium, there was one back in 84, I think it was. And I was on one of the committees then working with that. And, and you, you see the choir and they're in this one section of the stadium. And then in some place, there's the choir director down there. You almost need binoculars to see him. But he's directing this mass choir. But really what he is, he's more like a cheerleader than he is a director. And when I read these verses of this psalm, that's the picture I get in my mind. Here is this mass choir of Israel. And the cheerleader, the director says, OK, Israel, today we're going to sing if God hadn't been for us all together now. Let's sing it. And it's like nothing happens. They don't respond. And so he says again, OK, we're going to sing if God hadn't been for us when everyone went against us. And I don't know about you, but I read that over and over again. And, and here's the theme. If God hadn't been for us and I get excited and momentum begins to build and I want to shout out, yes, but God is for us. He is our 
helper. But we can't get to the end of the story when we're only at the beginning of the story. When those when I read those words of Psalm 124, I'm reminded of some other very familiar words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8:31, And, you know, those verses and those words. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? We need to make that not a question. We need to make that a statement. Because if you look in the original, the word if isn't even there. And so really what it says is what Paul is saying. On the one hand, God is for us. On the other hand, who can be against us? God is for us. Who can be against us? God is for us. Who can be against us? Actually, my favorite paraphrase of that verse is from a little boy who said it this way. If God is for me, everybody else might as well be. I like that. Everybody else might as well be because God is on my side. The great news that we can share this morning is that over and over throughout Scripture, we are reminded that God is for us. God is our helper. God is on our side. And the reason that's so important is because of the next thing this psalm tells us about life. This psalm tells us that in life, that life is full of hazards. Life is full of difficulties and problems. After the psalmist declares that God is on our side, he tells us what would have happened if God hadn't been on our side. He says we would have been swallowed alive by their violent anger. Another translation says, when people rose up against us, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent, we would have lost our lives in the wild, raging waters. Now, the psalmist gives us two illustrations that describe God's help. He tells us that the people were in danger of being swallowed alive. We don't know exactly what he was referring to at this point. We don't know what act or what kind of monster was going to swallow them alive. But it's clear that it would have happened if God hadn't have been present to help them. The second picture is a little more clear. The second picture is that of a flood. And that speaks to us of sudden disaster. I would imagine that most of you have driven out through the desert and you've seen the signs that warn you about flash floods. A few years ago, our son Todd had a ski boat and would go to uh, the river quite often over to Havasu. And we would go sometimes. And I remember driving across after you get off the freeway, you start going across and the dippy road, you know, just dips down and dips down. Almost every dip you went through, there was a sign that said, you know, warning, flash floods. In my own strange way, I often thought, oh, it'd be really cool to be out here when one of those hit, wouldn't it? That'd be really cool to see that happen. Actually, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way there's going to be a flood out here. This is dry. This is the desert. Where's the flood going to come from? And then, of course, sometime later, I would see some news report. And, and when the heavy rains had hit and the water was just roaring down through there, and it made a believer out of me that those signs really were true, that sometime there was going to be a flash flood there. If you live in those areas during the rainy season, there's no escaping. And we we're talking about moving back to Nashville. We were just there last week. Had to be the hottest four days of my life. 90 to 100 degrees, humidity 90 to 100 percent. Oh, we went through, a, I drove through this tremendous thunder and lightning storm and pouring rain on the freeway. I didn't know where I was going. And I thought, you know, there's a difference between Nashville and L.A. In L.A., when it rains that way, people just keep driving 70 and 80 miles an hour. In Nashville, they actually slow down, which was kind of a comfort to me at that particular point. But perhaps you remember a few months ago when they had the big floods in Nashville, which hadn't happened for like 150 years or whatever. 
And, you know, you saw I saw the interstate and I saw the cars half buried in water and the semi trailers. And I actually saw a part of a school floating down the interstate. And I thought it gives new meaning to the term moving education along, doesn't it? <laughs> I know that's a bad joke. Side note, however, how many of you watched the program Extreme Home Makeover? A guy just told me last week that they're going to go in and Extreme Home Makeover and they're going to rebuild that whole school as a part of their Extreme Home Makeover process and program. That's pretty cool. But one minute we're well and happy and making plans for the future. And the next minute, your world is disarranged by a catastrophe. You see, that's what I like about Psalm 124. It's a psalm about real life. The psalmist is not a person who's talking about the good life and how God kept him from all difficulty. And if you just trust him and you just follow him, everything will be happy. It's not a psalm that says, just follow Jesus and everything will be all right. It's not a psalm about the name it and claim it or the prosperity doctrine. And just, you know, turn on channel 40 or whatever channel it is and you'll get plenty of that. That's, I won't get off on that soapbox this morning. That's not what the psalmist is saying. If you just follow Jesus, everything will be fine. You'll be wealthy. You'll be happy. You'll be healthy. And if you'll send me $500 a month, I'm sure that will happen. He's not saying that. He's saying this is real life. This is tough stuff. He's gone through the worst. He's gone through life-threatening stuff. And yet he finds himself intact. He was not abandoned, but he was helped. You see, the final strength was not in the problem, but it was in the God who didn't go off and leave us. It's nothing new to tell you this morning that real everyday nitty gritty life can be tough and it can be hazardous. But I want to go one step farther with this this morning and suggest to us that even our Christian life can be hazardous. Let me see if I can help us understand what I mean by that. I believe that there's two or three things that happen to us every day. Every day, as Christians, we put faith on the line. Every day. Now, I can't speak for you. All I can do is honestly say to you this morning, I've never seen God. I've seen what God can do. I've seen the miracles that God can perform. I've seen the creation and the beauty that God gave us. I believe I've seen God in many, many people's lives who are living for him and trusting him and being obedient to him. But I've never seen God face to face. I live in a world where nearly everything can be weighed and explained and quantified and subjected to analysis and scientific control. And yet I persist with the idea of making the center of my life. The God whom no eye has seen and no ear has heard and whose will no one can probe. My friends, it takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to believe that God is real. And every day that faith is put on the line because our life just isn't smooth and easy without difficulties and problems. And we face them just like everybody else. I'm willing to take that risk, however. Even though I have not seen him, I believe that God is real and I believe that he loves me. I'm willing to take that risk. Are you? I also believe that every day as Christians, we put hope on the line. I don't know how you describe hope. I don't know what definition you give to hope. 
I've read many. One of them I remember is hold on praying expectantly. H-O-P-E. Hold on praying expectantly. I kind of like that one. But maybe you're different than me, but I don't know one sure thing about the future. We all make our plans. We all think that we know what we'll do next week, next month, next year. But we don't really know with 100% certainty if that will happen. We don't know when we'll have to deal with death or pain or loss or rejection. We hope we won't have to deal with that for a long, long time. But we don't know. We don't have any certainty with that. And yet, I live believing that God will accomplish His will. And I persist living in the hope that nothing will separate me from Christ's love. Read and reread Romans 8, 37 and 39. That powerful passage where Paul says there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Death can't, life can't, angels can't, demons can't, worries about tomorrow can't. Even the powers of hell themselves cannot separate us from God's love. That'd be a good place for an amen, just in case you wanted to say one. Thank you. We have hope. But every day, we put hope on the line. Every day, we put love on the line, we put hope on, faith on the line, hope on the line, and every day as Christians, I believe we put love on the line. Isn't it interesting that we are called by God to love our enemies? Jesus says, why do you love those who can love you back? You're to love your enemies. You're to pray for those who despitefully use you and who curse you. We're called by God to love our enemies. We're also called by God to love one another. And sometimes it's actually easier to do the first one than it is the second one. Because we know each other too well. You know, we know all our quirks and idiosyncrasies and, and all of that. But we're called to love our enemies, to love one another. We are called by God to set aside our natural instincts of ambition and competition and give ourselves to the demanding task of loving others. And loving others, my friends, is always a risk because that love can be misinterpreted. That love can be rejected. And so every day you and I decide to open ourselves to the frustrations and failures of loving. And we dare to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. So this psalm tells us there are hazards in the Christian life. There are hazards in everyday life. There are hazards in the Christian life. Faith, hope. And love. But this psalm also tells us one more thing. It tells us that in life, our help comes from the strong name of God. Let me remind us again that the heart of this psalm is not about the hazards we face. It's about the help that we receive. Listen to these words. Oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless, helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs, free from their traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. We're free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help. The same God who made heaven and earth. Don't forget that last line. God's strong name is our help. The same God who made heaven and earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the idea that God who made the God who made heaven and earth is the same God who comes to you and who comes to me as my helper and my defender. 
Here is the majesty of the one who called a universe into order and being. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead and says that same power is available to you and me. And that same majestic God is willing to get involved in the daily troubles and the messes that we make in our life. I have a counselor friend who often says to me, you know, on a good day, I'm a train wreck. <laughs> on a good day, I'm a mess. But God is willing to come into our lives when we feel like a train wreck and when life feels like a mess and, and when we've messed up in our life, God comes to us. I'm reminded the writer of Proverbs says to us in Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are confused. Is that what it says? The righteous run to it and what? They're safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. I just want to see if you're awake. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. All of us have trouble. All of us face trouble. And when it happens, I don't know about you, but the enemy always comes. And he says, I thought God loved you. I thought God cared about you. Well, you know, if he loved you, you wouldn't be going through that mess. You wouldn't be going through that financial struggle. You wouldn't be going through that health issue. Every time. That's why, friends, we have to know what we believe and why we believe it and who this God is that we serve. This majestic God who came to live and dwell within each of us. You see, Psalm 124 is about life. It's a psalm that tells us that there are problems and there are troubles. It does not tell us we will be free from problems and troubles. But tells us that there is one who is standing ready to be our helper and our defender. Psalm 124 is a picture of a person who digs deeply into the trouble of life. And in that trouble, discovers the presence of the God who is on our side. He discovers something very comforting and amazing that you and I need to discover in our lives. It's simply this. God always shows up. God always shows up. When life is going smoothly and our life is full of victory, God's there. He shows up. When we're faced with trouble and when it hits, you know, all of a sudden a disaster hits, a tragedy hits, and our life is a mess and it's falling apart, guess what? God's there. God shows up in the midst of that. And there's one other thing that God does, I believe, and that is simply this. God never says Oops. God never says oops. You may know this name and I just share it because I really share it because I want you to pray for him. A friend of mine, Rich Bueller, has been on the radio for years and years and years. He's back on the radio, KBRT, and uh, was just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And uh, I've heard him say over and over again, God never says Oops. God is never surprised by what you and I go through. God isn't in heaven and says, oh, oh, man, I didn't know that was going to happen to Lyle. Whew. I wish I'd have been around to see that happening. Maybe I could have done something about that. God doesn't do that. God knows. God never says oops. God always shows up. 
in the joys and in the sorrows, in the victories, in the struggles. Psalm 124 is a psalm that looks into the troubles of history, the anxiety of personal conflict and emotional trauma. And what it finds there is the God who is on our side, who has offered himself to be our helper and our deliverer. But I want to share something else with you this morning, my friends, and it's simply this. It takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to believe that. And how is faith developed? Listen to this. Faith is developed in us out of the most difficult aspects of our life, not the easiest. Let me read that again. Faith is developed in us out of the most difficult aspects of our life, not the easiest. And I've read that over and over again, and I've said to myself, I wish that weren't true. But it is. I wish that when life is going smoothly and, you know, everybody in my family is healthy and everybody's got good jobs and the finances are fine and, you know, everybody's happy. I just wish, oh boy, ah, my faith is really growing. I'm really strong in the Lord. But I don't know about you, but about me is when I'm going through those difficult times and those struggles and those things that catch me off guard. That I have to come and bow myself before the Lord and know that he is there and my faith begins to grow. It's kind of like it's kind of like how you build muscles, isn't it? I mean, you see people say, well, I wish I had muscles like that guy. Well, you can have muscles like that guy, you know, blood, sweat and tears. You work out, you lift weights, you do all those things. I say, well, you know, I, I do drive by 24 hour fitness a couple times a day. I think that should help. In fact, even better than that, I have a membership to 24-Hour Fitness. I never go, of course, but, you know, I belong to 24-Hour Fitness. I should get muscles like that guy. doesn't work that way, does it? I get muscles by working out, by sweating, by going and doing all those things, which you can tell I don't belong to 24-Hour Fitness and I don't work out like that. But that's how you do it. That's how muscles are built. That's how faith is built. When we're going through the struggles and we're going through the difficult times, we say, God, I don't know what to do. Oh, God, help me. And he does. He does. Every one of us can look back over experiences we have had and say with the writer of Psalm 124, if God hadn't been for us, what would have happened? And I believe that we can look at those same experiences and I trust that we can declare with confidence. But he was for us. He was there. He did show up. And he will continue to be for us because he has declared himself to be our helper and our savior. My prayer is that you and I will always be able to say, oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off. And leave us. But he is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And I want to share some words from an old hymn that I think helps capture what I'm talking about this morning as I close this message in prayer. The songwriter said, O God, our help in ages past... Our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne still may we dwell secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone and our defense is sure. 
Before the hills in order stood, or earth received her frame. From everlasting thou art God, to endless years the same. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guide while life shall last, and our eternal home. Father, we are grateful that you are our refuge and you are our strength. You come to us in our times of need and struggle. You show up. You're willing to get involved in our lives. May we we walk with you in obedience. May we walk with you by faith. And may the God of hope fill each of us this morning with joy and peace as we trust in you. And may we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.